Making America Great Again, The Fury Theory starts right now. The Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. I am joined by Mercedes Schlapp from the Donald J. Trump for President campaign. Uh, Mercy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is exciting, John. Very exciting. You know, I look at all of these economic numbers, and then I look at the poll numbers, and I see that the president is as strong as ever. Uh, this is a big body blow, and he's coming back. Talk, talk to me about how you look at the poll numbers. Well, you know, you're going to see a large variety of polls um, coming out right now. And I think that, you know, as you know, you've been, you've been in the political arena for a very long time. If we would have believed the polls in 2016, we would have thought Hillary Clinton would have been our president at the, you know, looking at polls right now in the beginning of summer. Uh, what we have seen with the president uh, is the fact that he, his approval numbers, especially when it comes to the economy, are very strong. They see that contrast between President Trump, who was able to build a strong economy in the first place, keep unemployment at its lowest levels amongst groups like Blacks, Hispanics, uh, women, veterans. And then obviously, it's been, the economy has been artificially interrupted, as he says, by coronavirus. But his uh, vision and hope and understanding of the economy is why he's focused on saying, look, there is pent up demand. We're going to get this economy a roaring again. And contrast that to Joe Biden, whose solutions to the economy is that of raising taxes, basically even raising the corporate tax, raising class taxes on middle class, which we know has a detrimental effect on economic growth. Uh, so I, I do think that with the president, as we get closer to the election, uh, you know, people will start focusing more and more on the campaign and, uh, and really focusing on the two candidates, President Trump being the strong leader versus Biden in the basement that can't even put a sentence together. So it's funny you talk about that, but we're going to get to Joe Biden in a couple of seconds. But, you know, I, I read a Politico article where Jason Furman, who is a big Obama economist, was quoted as saying that we're gonna see the biggest comeback in our economy in our nation's history. Um, what, are you, what are you seeing, what are you, what are you predicting about the, the economy bouncing back and how quickly can this come back? You know, I think the president has uh, talked about this as well as his top economic advisors, Larry Kudlow. You know, they feel uh, optimistic about getting our economy in a much better shape by early next year. You know, obviously right now we're seeing high uh, unemployment numbers, uh, which I, I'm going to tell you a little secret, John. The Democrats, they're going to use this high unemployment number as their talking point and saying it's President Trump's fault, which, you know, it, which is absolutely ridiculous because as we know, uh, we've had this pandemic in place, have taken every single uh, safeguard that we can right now to protect uh, the safety and the health of the American people and now we're at a point that the president is very much focused on how do we reopen this economy, taking these steps in a responsible way in these states. And what you're finding is these Democrat governors are slow walking the opening of these economy, i.e. we live in Virginia. Uh, Governor Northam is a perfect example of someone who's made this decision to, to really slow walk reopening the economy. You see this in these other states which is very troubling and I think it does negatively impact our economy. But I really believe that there is this pent up demand. There is this 
urge, this want by the American people to get back to work. And, and the president has set it up. So for example, uh, we are providing support and relief to small businesses through the Paycheck Protection Program. You know, these are risk-free loans where these small businesses might not be able to survive much longer, but yet they're getting these loans that they don't have to pay back and yet uh, be able to keep their businesses afloat. You know, it's funny, uh, in that article, Furman was saying that not as a, boy, he's excited about the economy going again. He was saying it as, oh, crap. The economy is going to come back again. And I think that kind of tells you a little bit where the Democrats are. If they're, if they're going to be rooting against the economy, I mean, why would the voters vote for them? You make a great point. And there was a political article that just came out saying just that. It was the Democrats getting nervous. They're panicked that we're going to see such an economic recovery come in the fall. I'm telling you, I was debating the DNC communications director, and she was really uh, – touting, uh, she was excited that the unemployment rate for Latinos was so high Incredible. and saying, oh, and, and so I told her, I said, so let me ask you, have you been in the basement for the past three years? Because under President Trump, we've seen uh, Latino unemployment at its lowest level ever. And the only one who understands what it takes to get this economy going is going to be President Trump. I, and I tell you, the Democrats, they, they are, they're entering danger, the danger zone. If their talking point is going to be, wait a second, the unemployment is too high, you know, we, the economy is not recovering fast enough, because it, it will not work. It just will not work for them, because their economic plan is called the Green New Deal that would cause the loss of millions of jobs in the energy industry. Their economic plan is throwing more money to, to the problem. I mean, you just saw Nancy Pelosi pushing through a $3 trillion uh, bill, which we know she only wanted a proxy vote, 20 members to be present to vote, and no Republicans involved in the discussion. And all this is is more bailout for the states and just a waste of money uh, coming from the government and not in a bipartisan fashion. So I think it's a losing Democratic uh, political strategy that they're pushing. Uh, you know, it's funny you say uh, about the proxy, the proxy voting thing, really, as a former uh, House staff member, that really kind of upsets me that they're going to give that much uh, power to Nancy Pelosi. And, you know, I have friends in the Pelosi office. Uh, I'm not a big fan of hers. You do, John? What are you talking I about? Have, I, have, I, have friends, I have friends everywhere. I, have friends, I try to be friendly to everybody. That's good. But, you know, you're you're a much better person than I am, let me tell you. I, I, I will <laughs> say that uh, I think they're making a tremendous mistake on that. You know, the other thing I'm, I, I'm really troubled by, and I really applaud the president, and that is telling people that we got to open these churches back up. I mean, I'm, I'm a Catholic. I'm, I'm really missing not going to, to Mass. I, 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 you know, see my local priest. I see him on Zoom calls, but it's just not the same thing. And, you know, the other thing I think where the president, when he comes out and says, we need the kids to go back to school and summer camp, those are huge political winners for him, in my humble opinion. Well, I think uh, two things, one on the churches. So I, I feel that the Department of Justice has taken on such a leadership role in pushing states like California, like Nevada, like uh, Minnesota to say your restrictions go way too far. So here's the deal, John, you and I can go to a bar or go to a casino and there could be 50 people there and that's okay, but we can't go to church because there's 10, more than 10 people in the church. It is the ultimate hypocrisy. It is a violation of our First Amendment. And it is clear that it, it is clear that for 
those of us who love our faith, want to practice our faith, want to go to church and be in community, we want to do this again in a safe and responsible manner, the churches should not be penalized. The churchgoers should not be penalized. And these Democrat governors, again, there's always a common thread. The Democrat governors who like are too snobbish to even acknowledge the important role that churches play in our communities, especially during this time where so many Americans are suffering with depression, anxiety. Like there is, you know, you're looking at this happen in our country and where they're turning to faith for solution. Right. That's not the playbook. Let me tell you, for the Democrats, the government is their church, and that is their ultimate downfall. And, I, and the, on the school thing, because, you know, you have five kids. That's right. You're, you're amazing. You're an amazing human being, to be honest with you. Uh -huh. I, only, I only have two kids, and they, they keep me pretty busy. Um, <laughs> I, I wish I had five. I love kids. But, you know, I love the kids when they go to school. Uh, I'm <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's really important that these kids yeah. go back to school. And I don't know what the heck they're going to do all summer camp. I mean, why, you yeah. know, we need to get these kids back. Because everything shows that they don't give off this uh, virus to anybody else. So get them back to school. You know, and I think, uh, you know, I, I view it this way. I, you know, luckily, you know, luckily, I, you know, I've got Matt, although Matt's working all the time, too. I feel like we work more now that we've been quarantined than right. not. Uh, but I, and I, I really uh, treasured the time I've spent with my girls during this time. I think we've all, you know, as my uh, uh, incoming senior, Viana told me, she goes, I'm so glad I've been able to spend time with the eight-year-old Lucia and the 10-year-old Ava because that's time I'm not going to have when I go to college. So I thought there was like, there's definitely a lot of good and family that comes out of it. But the reality is, is that structure and routine are very important for children. And, uh, and, I, and I also believe that for them, you know, I have seen the emotional strain on our, even our kids, right. which, you know, they're strong kids, but that they feel that there's so much uncertainty and there's so much that they don't understand um, happening with coronavirus. And so, it, and, it, and it's created a lot of fear within them. And you really have to talk through with these kids what's going on. And I think with the schools, you know, we're at a point right now that you know, some distance learning has been great, some has not been so great. And what 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 bothers me is that for the single parent, for the 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 immigrant who does not speak fluent English, like my parents when they first came in, I mean, I get to teach my kids. There are, there there are so many parents out there, and so many, especially these ki these kids in these households that are not even getting any education. I mean, Fairfax County was a disaster for three weeks. How much money do, do the Democrats spend for each student in Fairfax County and they couldn't get distance learning right? Yeah. So it is a waste of government money, these teachers unions running the shop. And then you have that Fairfax County not a, being able to help these, these kids for, for almost more than close to a month they didn't have schooling. And so these kids have to go back to school. And, and the reality is, is like, do it in a way where in a, you know, in a way that's safe, in a way that if it's an, a teacher who has immune deficiency problems or health issues, or, you know, the age of my parents, that they stay home and we find a better way to do this. But the kids, I think for the kids, if they do not allow them to go to school in the fall, I, I think there'll be an uprise coming from the parents. I, I, well, I, I agree a hundred percent. You know, I know your your personal history. I know the history of your father and the Castro regime. I know how much you love uh, freedom. And one of the great things about uh, President Trump is he's he's pro freedom. You know, he wants you to 
have your First Amendment rights. He wants you to peaceably assemble. He wants you to be able to go to church. He wants you to have all of your, you know, Bill of Rights rights. You know, he's all for that. Um, sometimes I wonder about the Democrats, though, if they are really into the First Amendment. I know where they are, aren't into the Second Amendment. <laughs> uh, you know, this is the thing that I, I, I worry about in this election, about, you know, who's really in favor of freedom and who's not. And I, it used to be that both teams were in favor of freedom. Now I, I'm starting to wonder. Well, you know, I think that Joe, one of Joe Biden's biggest weaknesses and, and the Democrats has been that they have been so quick to call anyone who's Republican or Trumpian uh, a racist. Right. Uh, and and they, their use of identity politics, I think, has been very destructive to their own party. Uh, you know, I, you, you take the fact that Joe Biden uh, called the president's decision on the travel restrictions to China as being xenophobic. Right. And you kind of have to scratch your head going, well, wait a second here. And then he flip-flopped on it. So like, he calls him xenophobic. Then he says, no, no, the travel restrictions were a good thing. And then he goes back to calling it the president a racist and xenophobic. And then he calls the rest of us that as well. And then you take Biden's most recent comments yeah. on you ain't black, which means you ain't black if you're going to support President Trump. Even folks, even individuals who don't support the president were offended by the president's comments because they are like, you, Mr. White guy, are not going to tell me who I can and cannot support and whether I am black or not black, because if I'm, if I'm not supporting you. And it caused such an uproar in the black community. I mean, I work closely with Katrina Pearson. She's one of our top senior advisors on the campaign. And she told me she would just keep getting called by even individuals who don't support the president saying, what is, what is wrong with Joe Biden? Why would Joe Biden make such a careless remark where he's basically saying, if you're black, you don't have a choice but to vote for Democrats. Last time I checked, you know, black people want to have the freedom to vote for whoever they want to vote for. And I just think it's so telling that they've made it, the Democrats focus so much on saying, you're a white guy, John. So you are, you know, we're not going to deal with you. You're down in the totem pole. And, you know, you're Hispanic, so you get more brownie points. You're Black. And I just think that that's not what America's about. America's about the individual spirit. It's about the fact that we all can do um, great work using our God-given talents with our God-given rights um, to, to succeed in America. That's why people come to this country uh, to be part of that. And I feel like the Democrats don't they want to dictate their teaching and if you don't agree with their, their teaching you are called a name you are called a racist you're called a yeah. bigot and let me tell you i learned this during the kavanaugh hearings where i remember it was a lot of these kind of anti-trump bush people um and i mean anti-trump yeah bush people that worked in the administration but they loved kavanaugh and yeah. i remember they come up to matt and i and they said i'm really sorry and i said why are you sorry she, they're like because you and Matt have been beaten up by the media, get all this negative, you know, coverage and people saying horrible things about you, but you stood up for principle and you stood up for value, for, for values of freedom and democracy. And they never thought they would get attacked because they're like, well, we're not Trump. But then they realized Kavanaugh got, Brett Kavanaugh got attacked so brutally and they saw their friends suffer. And they, when they stepped up to the plate, and spoke up, they got attacked. And I was like, guys, 
They're not gonna differentiate between the Bush Republicans and the Trump Republicans. We're Republicans and they're gonna go after all of us because they don't agree with what we agree, agree on. You know, it's, it's funny, I, I've been around politics for a long time and I remember when the Democrats attacked George H.W. Bush, they accused him of burning down black churches. No. Uh, so this is not necessarily a new thing for the Democrats, but I do think that President Trump, it's, they've taken it up a notch because he's an outsider and they figure they can brand this outsider any way they want. You know who's not an outsider? Joe Biden. Uh, you know, I, Joe Biden is one of those guys who you instinctively want to like because he seems like a likable guy. But he's part of this political establishment that the voters don't like. He's also... I mean, I don't want to be ageist here, but he seems like he's a little bit out of it. I mean, he, he can't string a sentence together. You know, how do you run against someone like George, uh, Joe Biden who is out of it and who is a complete political insider that the voters don't like? So, John, I'd love to get your insight on this because I have my opinion about this. If I were John, it, let, let's, we can play it. If you were Joe Biden's campaign manager, what would you recommend for him to do? Uh, run a bunch of TV ads and keep them away from every any interview. There you go. I'm like, <laughs> you, make the, you make the sexiest ads. You make the most Photoshopped ads you can ever make. And that's what you put out. And, and that's your content. You don't have him do inter live interviews because he can't handle it. Um, we've seen this various times, which are kind of like our campaign shop kind of giggles because he's in a local interview. Let's say he's with like John from, you know, Cleveland local TV and the staff will interrupt him at, in the middle of the interview. So to, you're talking about, this has happened, I think close to a dozen times that they have interrupted. Do you imagine like interrupting the, the, the presidential candidates interview? Like that just doesn't happen. No, it's, it's, it's bad, bad, bad form. But you know, sometimes they have no choice because otherwise it's, it's going to veer off. And that, you know, they probably should never have another interview with Charlemagne the God. That was not, that was not a good idea for them. Uh, no. you know, I want to I get back a little bit to Brett Kavanaugh because, you know, I don't know Brett Kavanaugh, but he's the kind of guy that I would really, really like if I got to know him. And I know that you know him well. I have lots of friends that know him. Um, you know, how, how they attack Brett Kavanaugh. Um, and then, you know, with Tara Reid, I don't know about Tara Reid at all. And I think the president actually handled that very well. Um, but I will say that, that I am really worried at the lengths that they will go to destroy someone's reputation and how this campaign is going to go over the next couple of months because they're going to come after President Trump with everything they've got. Well, they've and come after President Trump with everything they've gotten for the past three and a half years. They've tried the Russian hoax, which is completely fell apart for them. They tried impeachment, completely fell apart for them. So I feel like every tactic that they have used has failed. Um, you know, they have this, the Democrat party has made it a point that they are gonna, re they hate him so much that they will do whatever they can to remove him from office. And so it's interesting, cause like, you know, I didn't support Obama. Uh, you know, I like, I never, I think said, we hate him so much that we have to remove him from office ever. Like you fight the battles, you fight the battles in the policy arena and you see which policy works. In this case, it's about the hatred of the man, right? Because they can't control him because he's such a, you know, a bulldog that he's able to go and get things done. I mean, he is a results oriented president and the Democrats um, really, I think have lost because they're so emotionally 
unstable and they can't deal with the president. I mean, you see, and not only them, but like you look at Joe Scarborough Mika, like let's give examples of just hosts that just, you know, that just gave you so much. Yeah, and willing to say lies and and try to distort his record, it's it's awful. So the president is more than ready. Look, he's the toughest guy I know. I mean, he really is. I, I've never seen anything like it. He yeah. will fight back and he will punch back. And he's taught us to do the same thing where you just don't let someone call you names and not respond back. Um, and I think that, I look, I want, the, I want to be making sure that I'm there to watch the debate between Joe Biden and the president because there is no way, even six feet apart, Joe Biden, will fall apart. I mean, there's no way he can handle a Donald Trump debate. I mean, he will get in his mind. It just, it, it's just not going to work for Joe Biden. You know, it's funny, Marcy. Um, I was not originally a, a, a Trump supporter, per se, at the beginning, the very, very beginnings of the campaign. But I became a Trump supporter when it came clear to me that it wasn't about Donald Trump. It was about the people who like Donald Trump. And those are my people. Yeah. Those are my voters. And, and the disdain and the hatred that the elite has towards the Trump voter is even more, it's more substantial than their hatred for President Trump. It's, it's actually, it's, it's, it's disturbing. And I think that ultimately, you know, you have to have an appreciation for the electorate. And I think that, you know, I appreciate where the, where, where the voters are. I think President Trump's going to win again uh, because I think that they want, this economy to come back again, and that the sense of America coming back again. And I think that the president is well situated. You know, what are your thoughts on on how the, the, the elite kind of views the Trump voter, not just the president? Yeah, I mean, it started with, started before that, but it started with really Hillary Clinton calling the Trump supporters deplorables. And that was in, insulting. And, you know, I remember, you know, we live in Northern Virginia, and we didn't get impacted by the huge recession that happened um, you know, in 2008, 2009. Uh, and, you know, I think that one of the, I remember talking to one of our, one of my friends here in the area, and she was just appalled by everything Donald Trump. And she's like, I'm a Republican, but I'm going to write in Paul Ryan, because I can't vote for Donald Trump. And I, you know, I don't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. So I just looked at her straight in the face. I was like, here's the deal. Election is a choice between two people. Right. Okay. If you don't vote for Donald Trump, that's a vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm just letting you know. You can, you can morally say, I feel awful. I can't morally vote for Donald Trump. I can't do his tweets. I can't handle his personality. I'm just telling you, if you do not vote for Donald Trump, that is a vote for Hillary Clinton. And so, and I, one other thing I told her, I said, and here's the deal. You have been in a county that has barely been impacted by the recession. Right. Like it's been a bubble. But I want you to go out to Pennsylvania. I want you to go out to Ohio, where their jobs have been taken away and are somewhere out in China somewhere, and that they have, they're the forgot, they really are the forgotten men and women. Like they don't have a voice. And that's, the, that's who President Trump really championed. Like that's who he was talking right. about. He understood from day one, and it's why he beat out all the candidates. He understood from day one that we needed to become the party of the American worker, something right. that the Democrats stole a long time ago. But they're run by the union leader mafia folks. We wanted the workers because we're like, he, and he got it. Like, think about any of the candidates. He was the first one to really understand how China was a really bad actor, how they were stealing our technology, 
how they were, I mean, literally, they literally hacked into like our research institutions to take, take vaccine information, yeah, coronavirus. This amazing. is what we're dealing with. And it's yeah. from day one, I remember even when I worked at the White House, the president understood that China had to be held accountable and that we had to stop bowing down to China's uh, dominance because China is very focused on becoming the dominant power you know, now and in the next decade, and if we don't keep our eye on the ball, the U.S. will fall, and it will become China, a communist nation that is, uh, that is, talk about taking away people's freedoms. I mean, that's what they focus on. That is who we want leading our globe, the Chinese. Yeah, right. I think that's a really important issue. I think that's going to be a, an emerging theme. And listen, the president you know, he has experience with the Chinese because he did business with them and he knows. I mean, he knows firsthand. Now, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, they have a different experience with the Chinese, a little bit more insiderish. Uh, and, you know, I don't think it's nearly any of uh, Joe Biden has been pro trade with China, Joe PNTR, giving all our intellectual property. I think that this is going to be an emerging theme in this campaign, uh, but not the only theme. You know, Mercy, I just want to say that I really appreciate all your sacrifices. I know there've been a lot of personal sacrifices that you've made to both work in the White House and work in the campaign. I know you and Matt are you know, trying to keep it all together with the five, the five girls and they're, they're beautiful girls. Uh, and I know how hard this has been for, 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 for you, but I, I really appreciate your sacrifices. And I just want to say thank you for being on the Fury Theory Podcast because you're just doing a great job for America. Well, thank you for all you do and getting your voice out as well and, and helping us um, at the campaign, and we uh, we're, I'm glad to be here. Thank you again.